0: Hello and welcome to People, Places, Power, with me, Nick Cull. And
1: me, Simon Anhold.
0: In this podcast, we talk about issues of international reputation, foreign policy, and a few other things along the way. And today, we're going to talk about the issue of personal identity and how it intersects with international reputation and country image. So Simon, um, you made a claim a couple of years ago in one of your books relating to um, the power of personal identity and this whole subject. So do you want to or would you care to uh, repeat that claim today as a starting point?
1: I think what I said was, uh, and it was more than a couple of years ago, this must be getting on for um, 10 or 15 years ago. And I think the observation was simply that the reason why people seem to care so much about the way their country is viewed is that they see the image of their country as being a seamless extension of their own image. So one of the things I said, I think probably in the same passage, was that in just the same way that products that are manufactured in a particular country carry a label uh, with that, with that country of origin attached to it. So, to a degree, do people. And the fact that uh, I come from country A or country B is, in a horrible kind of way, a label that I carry around on me that tells people something about me. And that's why I care so much about it, because if my country has a has a weak or a negative image, I'm constantly having to explain and justify. And people, so it's so often the first question that people ask you when they meet you: Where are you from? And if you constantly have to say, oh, you won't have heard of it, but I'll explain, or it's not as bad as you think, and here's why, that's a burden, isn't it? Whereas if, on the other hand, you come from a widely admired country, it's lovely just to be able to say, oh, yes, I'm from Canada, or I'm from New Zealand, or I'm from Switzerland, a country that's widely admired, or I'm from the United States. And suddenly, immediately, that's your, that's your calling card. You've handed it over. And people's expectations are quite, quite different. Um, So it it is tremendously powerful, and it is almost uh, inextricable from your own personal image. It goes before you, as I say, like a calling card, telling people what sort of person they think you're going to be. And that's as bad as it's good.
0: Well, I think that that observation goes away to explain some of the feeling around uh, international image. And uh, the criticism of politicians who are not seen as, for some reason, sustaining the international image, letting the image of the country down, yeah. uh, it might explain why people are so ang- become so angry and concerned uh, about certain kinds of behavior. Mm. Um, I think about uh, the discussion around sports fans misbehaving, mm-hmm. uh, letting down the image of, of the country, or... Uh, When countries have been singled out for uh, criticism, how much of a uh, a burden that is on uh, particular governments or even when opinion polls come out Mm. and uh, an allegation is made that a particular country has passed uh, one's own country in terms of its international reputation, which was this was one of the revelations um, made uh, during the Nixon Kennedy uh, election uh, where um, uh, Kennedy was able to show a secret opinion poll um, that the prestige of the United States had had slipped back uh, and the image of the Soviet Union was was moving forward and that, uh, that um, prestige gap was a thing that people that voters really really worried about and um, I think that the, the idea that the intensity of that worry, is because of a link between personal identity and international image. That actually helps to explain the, 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 the depth of feeling and the kind of edge that comes to those um,
1: uh, conversations. It's, it's also something, I think, uh, at the same time, something quite practical. Uh, if you're a person who's ever thought about the prospect of living or working abroad, you will know that the prestige of your country will have a direct impact on your ability to do that successfully and profitably. And so if your politicians or, or, or somebody else is, is, as you say, letting the side down, doing something perhaps to, to, to damage or to subvert the image of the country, you as a potential student or worker in another part of the world will be personally damaged by that. And so... It's very real and very practical. It's not merely injured pride uh, in every single case, and it's very often both. It's interesting, isn't it? It's something I've often noticed, that whenever you see uh, riots on the television taking place almost anywhere in the world, even if it's got absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the world, even though nine times out of 10, it's a purely domestic issue, the rioters are almost always waving the national flag. Um, And they're not at war with anybody else. Nobody's asking any questions about any other countries, but the national flag is the thing they wave. And why are they doing that? Well, the reason they're doing it is because they're basically saying we are the guardians of the true image and the true spirit of our nation. So we are the ones who are entitled to wave this flag against you the corrupt government, or the wicked opposition, or the corrupt bureaucrats, or whoever it is, mm-hmm. who are threatening that good name.
0: No, I think that's a very uh, that's a very interesting um, o- observation. Um, we could see how in LA um, protesters did much better uh, during the undocumented migrant protests when the migrants carried the Mexican flag uh, in LA. They did less well than the following year when they when they carried the American flag mm. and were clearly demonstrating about uh, a, a desire to be uh, fully admitted to the the American identity. Mm. Um, that that was a much more successful um, successful strategy. Um, so uh, once we're talking then about people's. Um, a connection to their own country being an extension of their identity. How does this play among images of other countries? You know, I would argue that um, people uh, have views of other countries that proceed from their national image. So um, they may have positive feelings about a country that has been positively connected to their a uh, uh, particular national or religious identity in the past mm. and similarly negative feelings um, uh, that are that are also linked in this in this way can you but
1: can you see examples of that well, I was going to ask you the same question I was going to say can you help us out with an example there
0: well I think that the way in which you you feel um, uh, that um, whatever your own experience, you have a historical, or people, citizens feel they have a historical experience um, of of a place. Mm. Um, Let me think of a good example. Um, Well, does anything like that show up in the uh, Nation Brands Index? Do you notice positive feelings towards uh, former uh, colonial uh, countries or mm. are they the ones that are more negative
1: how mm. does that play um there are a couple of a couple of um, observations that have come out of looking at, at, at these kinds of questions at, over the years one is um the truth of that f- funny old saying a friend is someone who likes you and the reciprocity of country powerful country image is quite striking um, people very often like countries by whom they are liked. And so they somehow know. Um, The French tend to like the Germans, and the Germans tend to like the French. It's relatively uncommon for there to be unrequited love between populations. And so, as I say, somehow people do just know, they sense in some way, that they are liked by the population of another country, and that creates mutual liking. Another thing that's often emerged from the data is that um, some kind of important historical relationship between your country and another country nearly always results in um, positive mutual feelings between those two countries. In a funny kind of way, this appears to be separate from the nature of that relationship. Even colonial relationships, even highly abusive colonial relationships, after a certain passage of time seem to somehow mulch down into a general feeling of acceptance, trust, even warmth. So it's as if a certain number of generations pass and people no longer remember how you met and what was it that you did to them or they did to you. You just remember that they're close. And the, so one of the so betters-
0: like the general positivity of salience, that if somewhere matters to you, right. you think about it, and and that becomes familiar and, and yes. Uh,
1: positive. Right. Yes. So the, the, the classic example of that is feelings of Indians uh, towards Britain. Now, the Indians have every reason um, to have quite negative feelings about Britain because of the way that uh, Britain acted when it was a colonial power towards India. But let a few generations pass. And it seems that the, the, not amongst everybody, of course, by any means, but broadly speaking, a lot of the sense of hurt, the resentment, the grudge, and no doubt also the causes for those feelings, gradually seem to melt away. And what you're left with is not nothing, but a broadly positive sentiment. We know who these Mm. people are. And we see throughout the psychological uh, research that um, to know something is to trust it more than something you don't know and so even if right. that knowledge comes so it really from really is
0: better the, as the saying is better the devil you know right um, but oh, that's very that's uh, that's very interesting um, but examples of um, I'm thinking of uh, the the feeling towards Japan in, in China and South Korea mm. or the feeling towards Russia that you encounter in Poland where mm. the dislike of those of that place
1: mm.
0: is one of the ways in which you express your national I- I- identity yes. um, uh, and it's as if part of the relevance of that country to um, its neighbor, is that you? Um, you perform your uh, national identity by disliking that place. Yes, absolutely. Um, and and you've often said that countries have to be relevant. So you've got an uphill struggle if you're Russia in Poland to be relevant uh, in a positive way, or uh, more relevant in a positive way than you're already relevant by being a negative thing that everybody can agree they dislike.
1: Yes. Right. Yes. Yes, and and not surprisingly, um, the degree to which this factor is visible um, is directly correlated with the degree to which over the years politicians have deliberately stirred up these feelings. So, for example, um, uh, the uh, Chinese authorities stirring up hatred of Japan um, Mm -hmm. to a somewhat greater extent than vice versa uh, is part of the reason why It's uh, in many cases appears to be part of the Chinese identity. I am a Chinese person and I hate Japan. Um, Part of my identity is hating Japan. Um, Mm -hmm. And that sticks around. It sticks around for as long as it's uh, rooted in in your sense of identity. And it sticks around for as long as uh, people in power continue to, to stir it up. So that's a particularly evil brew. And we can find it in, sadly, quite a number of bilateral relationships around the world. Yeah, Just I know it's of quite a diplomacy.
0: It's something I experience talking to uh, I- Iranians that mm. um, they will mention the historic anti British feeling uh, mm. in, in Iran. Uh, and uh, they have a comic character called Uncle Napoleon who will always. Uh, tell people oh, it's not really the Americans that the, that a problem is that the British are behind the Americans mm-hmm. and uh, um, that idea of a, of a sort of performance of national identity by uh, demonising uh, some place that probably doesn't think that much about that particular country and and, and certainly wouldn't have a reciprocal obsession. Mm. Uh, with with the countries can seem very very strange, uh, you know the old question: Do they mean us? Yes. Uh, it, it, uh, for the average Briton, they would be astonished to think that they were that relevant to uh, people in in far away Iran. Uh, mm. But what do they know of the history of the region?
1: Yeah, in the in the same way, most Singaporeans would be absolutely astonished and probably horrified to discover that they are um, the most despised country of all Brazilians. Um,
0: <laughs> what did they
1: do? How did, I, that, uh, how did that come about? I, I'm still waiting for an answer to that. But every time the Nation Brands Index is released, I check and I see there is this extraordinary prejudice on the part of just about every Brazilian respondent towards Singapore. And I don't know what they've been told at school or what TV series has demonised yeah. Maybe the only thing I can think of is because of those stories that one continually hears, slightly anti-Singaporean stories about how you can be thrown in jail for spitting chewing yes. gum on the street, and the Brazilians yes, so are very whips or wearing
0: a bikini or something that there's some something that's very Brazilian uh, mm. that they're convinced they won't be able to do in yes. Singapore. So something that strong, you know, I think we could uh, investigate. Um, which part of Brazilian identity it is? Um, it, it you know it is uh, c- connected to uh, because that would be a, probably give us a, uh, an insight into this uh, this whole question. Mm. Uh, one other angle on this um, is how countries can be relevant to identity. So I'm talking about here about a foreign country can be relevant to an identity overseas based on generational interest. Mm. And I'm thinking here about how important the United States was as a source of popular culture to British teenagers and how uh, generational identity issues in the 50s and 60s became tied up with with international um, image and you know uh, th- this is satirised in *A Clockwork Orange*, where Anthony Burgess has the has the young people speaking Russian <laughs> as a, as a sort of a, a way of marking. Well, how would it be if they were super interested in the other country involved in the Cold War? Yes. But yes. this was really a um, a, a phenomenon mm-hmm. um, or um, a sort of generational identification with with. Um, with another country, and a resource for the United States because it meant the United States, for whatever reason, was very relevant to um, uh, a a generation in the UK.
1: Hmm. People people do like to badge themselves uh, with certain other countries if there's something uh, widely understood about that other country or widely believed that they wish to be associated with. I mean, enormous numbers of non-Brazilian people go around wearing Brazilian football jerseys as casual mm-hmm. women. and that's presumably because they simply like the idea of being associated with what they imagine the world associates with Brazil. Um, yes, that that that, that um, good living, high living, fun partying, um, devil make air attitude, um, which sits well on 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 certain people. I I would love to do a survey of the number of people in the world who possess a Union Jack cushion um, and and display it on their their sofa or on their armchair at home. Practically every country I've ever been to in the world, I see these things in enormous numbers. So there's something there about Cool Britannia, about uh, funky cosmopolitanism. Um, It just appeals to people, and it's a little tiny... Um, component of your own identity as uh, an Italian or a Canadian or a Kenyan or whatever it is, if you own that cushion, that says, there's a little piece of me that because I love Britain enough to own this cushion... There's something about me that you can associate, that I can borrow so from So there is you. a
0: corner of a foreign couch that is forever England. <laughs> <laughs> but what does, that, what does that mean? What does it mean that people are sitting on the flag? Uh, and and uh, are there other flags that are... I suppose the US flag is used as kind of a totem in, in that way, as a totem less, of cosmopolitanism. Less,
1: less than previously. I mean, the, the, when you, were, you and I were young... It was relatively common around the world to see non-Americans sporting stars and stripes patches um, yes. and, and, and uh, themed casual wear. Um, that's less yes. common now because uh, America is not nearly as widely loved and admired as it was back then. And in fact, we have the opposite that every time uh, America misbehaves by invading somebody else's country or electing somebody like Donald Trump as president, you have enormous numbers of Americans frantically sewing maple leaves onto their backpacks when they go, yes, and, yes. Uh, when they go on holiday yes, I,
0: I found out that the, uh, the, the former director of Voice of America did that. So <laughs> what, what, is, what does it mean when you, you've directed Voice of America but you still feel compelled to sew a, a maple leaf on your, uh, on your backpack? On it's fascinating, isn't it? It's unbelievable.
1: But it, but it? But it shows, doesn't it, that, that countries, or at least well-known countries, are are storehouses of value uh, or values that everybody feels that they can they can borrow from uh it's sort of like a library of personality traits or political or social or ideological traits which you can you can borrow from and like um like magpies we we see something that glints Mm -hmm. in a country's image and we go and peck at it and we adorn our nest with it. I know magpies don't do that. That's weaver birds or something But that's
0: true. And that then does become part of a cosmopolitan identity uh, to have, uh, and there are only, if you think about it, there are only particular flags that are used in this way. And, you know, Brazil, uh, Switzerland, uh, the Union Jack, those get used, but, you know, you wouldn't see um, somebody using the German flag um, oh, you, you would. Know, the, the French tricolor doesn't get recycled
1: you in that do, way. You do see the German flag. You, you don't see it much around Europe. But um, you know, remember that Germany has the highest prestige of any country on the planet. There, there was a vogue um, not so long ago, uh, even in the UK, uh, for people to wear um, German army surplus Garb uh, and, net, uh, and shirts uh, awesome. and, and overcoats, and they had little German flags, and this was a mere sixty years after the Second World War, and there was not not a trace of irony about it, as far as I could see. It was just, you know, that's that's okay, that's that's Germany. It's Well, I,
0: I think that where you do see it is with uh, German. Uh, do you remember the Vogue for um, bm uh, for, for uh, uh, Volkswagen um, circle logo? Oh yes. And People wearing those as jewellery. Stealing um, them from people's right. cars
1: and hanging them around your neck. Yeah. That's right.
0: That's yes. right. This was well, uh, uh, I, alarming Alarming the Sunday newspapers uh, maybe 30 years ago.
1: I was, going, I was going to say that, of course, one step down from the national flag is a national brand. And so even though draping yourself in the national colours of another country is a little bit extreme. By the way, we forgot to mention Jamaica, another country whose flag mm. is widely borrowed used abused selectively adopted in many many circumstances because
0: oh, but it's also used generationally as a countercultural symbol
1: yes and 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 it's tantamount to saying i love bob marley i love reggae i love smoking dope i love jamaica um, and that's to- told you three things about me which is a, a very quick way of of uh, signaling who i am and whether you're going to like me or not but um, the 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 product brands are less contentious um, because they only, they contain a smaller dose of the national image. So yes, you can hang a Volkswagen logo around your neck as an ornament to show something uh, about yourself. And there's a component of that ten percent, fifteen percent. I don't know what it is that also says. And by the way, I like Germany too because this is a German car. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, in the same way, if you have a um, a great big glittery uh, Chanel uh, logo on your clothing, some small part of that is saying, not only am I a fashionista, not only do I like Chanel, I also like France a bit. Um, not as much as draping yourself in the tricouleur, nothing like as much as that, but just enough, just a small dose, just a just a, a drop. And I think that um, part of the reason why these signals and these gestures have become so important is because in modern societies, um, the old instruments that we all had for defining where we sat in the matrix of our societies are no longer with us. Um, Not very many generations ago, you kind of knew who everybody was and where they sat in society. You could tell by the way they dressed. You could tell by the way they spoke. Chances are... Mm -hmm you would meet and get married to somebody who is from exactly the same position in the social matrix. Now, so much of that has become fluid. Class distinctions have almost vanished in many, many countries. And we still, however, need to signal to people who we are and where we sit and what our values are. And brands will fill that role. They step into that vacuum and they say, here's who I am. Here are the things that I value. Here are the things I stand for. So. And sometimes
0: that nation is becoming that signal, or a foreign nation mm. will be adopted uh, as, uh, uh, as that way of, uh, right. of signaling. Right. Um, right. And uh, yeah, you can see how, uh, and this has been going on for a long time, mm. how people would, would use elements of France uh, outside of France to mm. signal social class. Yes. This is the French way of doing things. This is the latest in Paris. Even,
1: uh, even to the extent of adding a particle to your surname so that you become you become Nick Ducal. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a Simon,
0: I know enough French to know that I would not attempt to do anything with my surname yeah, in the French very language. Very unfortunate,
1: very oh, unfortunate.
0: Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> but... So, um,
1: so if I, yes. I want to, oh, I know
0: that obviously there are people who have done that kind of thing, or or people uh, in in the sphere of Germany outside of Germany who would add a von right. uh, as a sort of uh, a way of classifying themselves, so, uh, you know, enhancing their social class. Hmm. Uh, but what is what? What do we? How does all this? I mean, once we start talking about identity, we've also got to think about people who are excluded yeah. from. a a nation people who are discriminated against within a nation where do they stand in in all this and and how could we how does this apply to um excluded uh excluded
1: groups well there's no there's no doubt that this is uh this is a really tricky issue because if the if the common stereotype of your country is for example overwhelmingly white that the picture picture people have of your country around the world is that it's a quote unquote white country most of the people who live there are white and you happen not to be white then even though you have of course as a national of that country as much right to share in the benefits of that image as anybody else whatever color they are you're excluded Mm -hmm. from it people don't think you look like somebody from that country um And I've got um, Britain is a good example of that. The the image of Britain around the world is a predominantly white image because for most of recorded history, it's been a predominantly white country. And I have black friends in England who say that they regularly they go abroad and people say to them, where are you from? And they say, I'm from England. And they say, yeah, but where were you born? And they say, well, I was (coughs) born in England. And they say, yeah, but where were your parents from? And obviously oh what they're trying goodness. to say is you don't look like what I think of as an English person. Having said that, the UK does seem to be making strenuous efforts to correct this. And this is done partly by having more and more and more international uh, exemplars, figureheads, representatives of the country who are not white. Um, somebody like mm-hmm. Mo Farah, for example, the the, the long-distance runner, who... Um, who is originally actually Ethiopian and it was recently revealed was trafficked to the UK, Um, a a rather interesting twist to the story, by holding Mm -hmm. him up as a prime example of the British male in the 21st century, that's helping to deepen and enrich and broaden the image of what kind of person is British. Um, Um, To move back in history with this, I'm,
0: I'm struck by the way in which in the past people who were excluded at home could experience inclusion overseas and um, maybe could could for the first time inhabit a national identity. So this Mm -hmm. is part of the experience of African-American troops serving in both the First and Second World Wars, that they only felt really American uh, when they were when they were overseas, and their Americanness was what was on their shoulder and what people uh, yeah. perceived when they when they when they talked to them, and that their Americanness was of more interest and uh w- was a stronger uh, phenomenon uh, than their than their blackness yes. um, and, and and I suspect that this worked uh historically uh for 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 uh with the class divisions within. uh uh, britain historically that you could go overseas as a discriminated against uh irish person living in uh england and you could be part of this great british empire uh, Mm. machine and um uh, reinvent be reinvented as part of a larger stronger um uh
1: identity yes and 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 uh By by the same token, if you came from a lower socioeconomic class uh, in the UK, in in the United Kingdom, back in the early 20th century, in the days of empire, you might be horribly discriminated against back home in the UK. But if you went and worked abroad, uh, serving the empire, people in other countries wouldn't be so alive to the subtle signals of your class origins. They wouldn't be able to tell your accent from the accent of a duke. Uh, or your clothing, yeah. or anything like that, and you'd just be British, just like uh, uh, yes, the the the, um, the viceroy is British, and that, yes. that's a yeah. wonderful liberation. And so, I think one and of the this nice
0: sort of comes out in the li- in the literature of empire, Paul, Paul Scott's novels and yes, uh, uh, things like this deal with that, those kinds of social themes and people being um, uh, people's um, identities having been reinvented in. Um, Yes, in India, but to, to to jump forward to today, I'm struck how there are a number of countries who are um, making their approach to um, personal image and personal identity a major part of what that country does in the world. So I'm, I'm thinking about the way in which uh, Britain and the United States. Um, and, and Nordics are supporting LGBTQ rights uh, uh, mm-hmm. around the world. And this is um, uh, so, so supporting somebody's right to their own identity and to be mm-hmm. who they feel they are, um, mm-hmm. making that part of what the entire country uh, does I- I- in the world. Uh, um, uh, the British Embassy in Vietnam recently hosted the first same-sex wedding mm. in Vietnamese history. Yes. And that's a very close identification of mm. that aspect of personal identity with the presence of the um, uh, UK in in, in
1: uh, uh, world affairs. Mm. Yes. Um, in exactly the same way, another example of the same thing, I was invited to the Danish embassy in London during Pride Week where the Danish embassy were hosting a series of pride-related events. I mean, let's let's not hide from the fact that this is a choice that these countries make, and it is a divisive choice. Uh, because, of course, not everybody at home in Denmark would like the idea um, that their embassy is, um, uh, is officially standing for um, those kinds of values. And indeed, not everybody in the UK who sees it will like Denmark the more for it. It is divisive because we don't live in a world where everybody approves of the same liberal values. In fact, it is a minority who approves of those same liberal values. So it requires a certain courage. It's not an easy thing to do to decide to do that. And you are quite deliberately uh, aiming for um, minority appeal, but the countries that do it feel that they're on the right side of history in doing so. And they're probably right they probably right,
0: and the flip side is uh, the sort of position taken by Russia uh, when it presents itself as the conservative country that is officially supporting uh, family values as yes. they conceive of them and uh, seeking to oppose uh, a um, uh, an agenda based on personal. Uh, personal freedom and
1: personal identity, yeah. and, and indeed it works. Um, I, I see from my research that there are there are countries all over the world um, with substantial numbers of people who express admiration for Russia, um, precisely because it appears to mirror their own social values, um, and they happen to their views happen to be somewhat illiberal, and they see Russia as a bulwark against the uh, the rising tide of of, uh, of permissiveness. Um, The difference, I think, is that very few people, even uh, people with rather conservative ideas, can really see Russia as the kind of country that's actually deliberately going out of its way to help other people in other countries, because Mm -hmm. one has to look at these values as part of a whole. And the whole in Russia's case is not that of a country that works hard for others Mm -hmm. or even for its own population much of the time. So it doesn't quite hang together, even if the values do uh, appeal in a passive kind of way to a number of people around the world
0: but in in terms of you know to round round this off what I'm struck by is that it's a really bad idea to get on the wrong side of someone's uh, identity um, for uh, you know the Danes when they got into that cartoon crisis a few years ago or uh, how people were feeling about the United States around the world after um uh, Guantanamo, when um, th- when when you get identified with uh, something that's really part of how somebody feels about themselves, how they define themselves in the world, that becomes a tremendous burden to mm. uh, to carry. So I think in this whole question of the intersection between reputation and personal identity, we're really onto a a, a powerful thing that that will bear. A lot of further research and, uh, you know, I, uh, coming out of this, there are questions that I'd like to uh, go back to, 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 to probe and, uh, and see really how these connections work.
1: Yes. A final question I would ask, and it's, it's somewhat a rhetorical question, is, is it actually even a good thing for countries to be attempting to express a set of values and thus be associated with a single quote unquote brand, to use the horrible word? Because almost by definition, whatever those values are will not be shared by their entire population. So the government on behalf of the population is making a series of choices about what that country stands for, despite the fact that a substantial number of people, of their own citizens, uh, don't agree and believe in quite different things. Now, we know why countries do it. We know why they want to stand for something. We know why they want to stand up for a certain set of values. It's because they want a character. They want prestige. They want to appeal strongly. They would rather appeal strongly to a smaller number of people than not appeal strongly to, uh, to, to, to many. But I just wonder how responsible this is, considering what countries are. In the end, they're not products. Mm-hmm. They're not brands. They can't stand for one set of things. They have to represent, by definition, a very, very wide set of opinions and values, not only at home, but also abroad. And so is this all actually pretty irresponsible? and pretty naive, and in a way, pretty childish, treating a country as if it were a product with a single image that you can nurture. Wouldn't it be better for them to give up on the idea of having an image and just represent the people they have to represent? And if that means they won't form a strong personality, live with it.
0: Well, on that bombshell, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm still Nick Cole
1: and I'm still Simon Anholt